1: Everyone Gabby here and I'm Brina and welcome back to the mystery of everything podcast. Before I talk about today's story I just wanted to say that if you enjoy the podcast and you want to help us grow would you please leave us a review it helps us get more listens and it just overall helps us know that you all enjoy or don't enjoy the content. In addition, we now have a Patreon where you can get ad-free episodes as well as bonus episodes. Um, We really appreciate the support, but don't feel pressured to. We know, like, right now, the economy is terrible. so Times are hard. We get it. And it's getting
2: even harder to try to feed and water my seed. I don't know what you're (laughs) doing. Um, You all know. You all understand that. (laughs) But a side note. Patreon. I'm having so much fun with you guys. I don't know if I'm supposed to respond to everyone, but I am. And it's so much fun. Y'all, so sweet to me. (laughs) She she logged in and she's like, oh my gosh, people subscribed. Oh my gosh. No, it makes me so pumped. Like, I I keep that shit on hand. I'm constantly refreshing. And you all send me little comments and you're like, hey, Brynn. And I'm like, hey, guys. And I'm really enjoying it. I'm here for it. I didn't expect
1: people to subscribe. I'll be honest. I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> thank you guys for enjoying us enough to pay money to hear us talk more. And you all are so nice, too. I know. It's it's a lot different from the mean people. <laughs> oh my gosh. I got, I mean, I get like hate messages, but I get just, a lot of hate messages. I'm on the Internet enough to the point where like it's more people don't really know me for this podcast. They know me for everything else. So it's just like, oh my gosh, calm and down. they're so hateful. <laughs> Oh, that
2: one. She just shared a comment on her story. I'm not going to repeat what the comment said,
1: but the backhandedness of that, like... The only reason I've been posting this stuff I get is because when I talk about how people... Oh my gosh, people are still super, you know, not cool with interracial relationships. People don't believe me. And so I've had people be like, oh, don't lie. Like, nobody's like that in 2024. So I will screenshot it and send it to them. But now I just post it to my story so everybody can see that it is actually insane. (laughs) And I get like emails, DMs, constant comments. And I'm like, uh, wow. It's when I
2: read it, my mouth dropped, like wholeheartedly dropped. I was like, there's no fucking way that
1: came out of somebody's mouth. Oh, you would not believe the things people say. But sorry about that. We (laughs) got so off track. Without further ado, let's dive into it. So today's episode goes over an experiment that is um, very intriguing. It's a little intriguing, a lot disturbing and just all around strange. If you haven't heard of the Dolphin House experiment, I want to apologize in advance. If you have heard of it, well, hopefully I can provide some additional detail that you haven't yet discovered. Because guys, I read three books. Three <laughs> LSD fueled books. And she wouldn't even let me
2: Goog it to figure no. out what's going on. So I'm coming into this just like you all. I have no idea what it's about. Yep. Except I get the vibe by some of the comments she's
1: made that it includes bestiality. Might. Trigger warning. I might. think it does. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I um, I really had fun writing this. So this experiment, it started off as a relatively simple and innocent science experiment that was supposed to attempt to teach a dolphin to speak English. And you might ask, why would you do that? To which I would respond with, why not? But also, I don't, I don't really fucking know. Maybe boredom, maybe an urge to talk to animals it sounds so cool yeah i mean i I would love to communicate with like my dog so i can tell him to stop sleeping on my pillow and putting his muddy feet prints on it but whatever you know
2: if i could pick any superpower it would be the talk to animals one like dr (laughs) doolittle god i would have so much fun with that
1: but um the only thing is if we want to communicate with animals shouldn't we try to learn what they're saying instead of forcing them to learn what we're saying? I don't know. There's a lot of questions that I had while writing this. Yeah, I get behind that. It's they were only like fair. literally forcefully trying to make these dolphins speak English. I'm like, if we're no. so smart. If we're the smart ones, let's just learn dolphinese. is what they called it. dolphinese. I love that they named the language. I feel like we do pick up on
2: um, like kind of obviously we can't speak dolphin or whale or anything. Well, I can speak whale. That's besides <laughs> the point. <laughs> oh <my laughs> if you listened to a previous episode, you heard me speak whale one time not gonna do it again <laughs> it'll bust the mic but i feel like we kind of pick up on cues a little bit like we can understand like oh this noise is a mother crying for her child because we've taken it from her and she will spend the rest of her life in the ocean looking for that baby do not support SeaWorld.
1: yeah but we we can understand whether it clicks and whistles and sounds mean now more or less because people did in fact keep studying past this experiment um Obviously, a lot of things that were found in this experiment, you guys will see, were questionable. So is this experiment old? It is pretty old. It's like 60s. Oh, OK. So the experiment involved a young woman named Margaret Lovat and a young six-year-old dolphin named Peter, who were both participating in an experiment for a man by the name of Dr. Lily, Dr. John Lily. Margaret Lovat was in her 20s at the time, and she was fascinated by the idea of talking animals. She lived on the Caribbean island of St. Thomas, which coincidentally was where Dr. Lilly had moved in order to work on his dolphin communication experiments. Dr. Lilly was a neurophysiologist that formerly worked for the National Institute of Health. His previous research involved working on monkeys and mapping different neural regions that triggered different emotions, such as fear, arousal and pain. In order to map these neural regions, Dr. Lilly had a method of um, putting like up to 600 tiny bits of hypodermic tubing into the skulls of monkeys, through which he inserted electrodes into the brain. He sounds like a dick. Oh, it gets so much worse, girl. I, oh my God, it gets so much worse. In his own words, he was able to insert these electrodes into any desired distance and at any desired location from the cortex down to the bottom of the skull. Through electrical stimulation, Lily was able to discover the exact areas of the brain that controlled erection, ejaculation, and orgasm in male monkeys. Why? Yeah, like he
2: really figured out the male
1: brain, am I right? (laughs) So
2: I don't understand why.
1: Like, why um, not? No, to this, I'm not going to say why not. (laughs) (laughs) So according to his findings, it was found that if the monkeys were given a switch that stimulated the pleasure region of the brain, it would hit that switch at least once every three minutes for up to 16 hours a day. They were essentially going through pleasure withdrawals anytime they weren't hitting that button, which is pretty messed up. In essence, they made the monkeys into addicts constantly needing their fix, but it wasn't drugs they were like in need of. It was endorphins. That's so sad. Dr. Lilly ultimately ended up leaving the NIH, though, because the CIA and many other intelligence agencies wanted him to mark his research as classified. Basically, they wanted any animal information that they got, like any information about the brain to stay super secret so other countries couldn't look at it and be like, hey, we can use this. Or
2: they didn't want other people to know we're perverts. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe. But they wanted to make sure that anything he found, it would be of value to them and only them. But Dr. lily he also lived by the principle that he would be the first person any of his experiments would be tested on. And one of his experiments that is an interesting point in this whole story was a sensory deprivation tank where subjects would wear a mask that provided air, but it cut off all sight and sound as they floated in body temperature salt water. Some people do that for fun. Yeah, yeah. Upon hearing of his (laughs) sensory tank, intelligent agencies immediately wanted to learn more about it, but they wanted to use it as an interrogation tool. So not for fun. Nope. So this sensory deprivation tank research would be one of the most interesting research projects of Dr. Lilly's career. Even to this day, a lot of people still use sensory deprivation tanks for various purposes, including transcendental meditation and relieving tinnitus, which is like ringing in your ears. And it's basically unchanged for the most part, as far as the design goes. Also, Dr. Lilly really loved LSD. And this is going to come in to be a huge factor later on even when it comes to dealing with the dolphin research. I mean, when I say he loved it, he really loved it. By the 1970s, he would end up being so act out all the time that he pretty much drove himself out of the scientific community and stopped being taken seriously by a lot of his peers. Because at the beginning, he was a very promising young scientist and a researcher. But by the end, it got a little bit off the rails there, as one might do when they take a lot of LSD. That's how they get you right there. Yeah. So it is quite funny, though, that the one enduring thing that Lily invented was essentially a self-imposed coffin. He spent 10 years initially developing his tank and working on it in order to, in his own words, form a baseline. In his book, Deep Self-Consciousness Exploration in the Isolation Tank, he described his process. He also mentioned that he waited 10 years before he combined the isolation tank with LSD usage. Coincidentally, the start of his LSD usage lined up with his work at the Research Institute in St. Thomas. Also, Lilly claimed that the first book he wrote about his dolphin experiments was written in one single weekend while he was, and this is a direct quote, high on amphetamines. Huh. And I did read that book. It was, I, I, <laughs> I find it hard to believe somebody was on amphetamines and they wrote all of that. I mean, it was a, it was a pretty significant book, but got to love consistency And I'll have a link to his books posted to Patreon along with my other sources. If that's something you're into, you can find his books online for free. You can borrow them in like hour long increments. So it took me so freaking long to write this episode because I was reading the books and I kept having to renew them. And one person checked out the book as soon as I was done with it. And I was so mad. I had to wait. (laughs) So Dr. Lilly became interested in research on sea animals when he found a beached pilot whale near his home in 1949. Back then, people thought that there was a correlation between brain size and what the brain was capable of, which made studying marine mammals incredibly appealing. Lily became obsessed with observing marine mammals. And in the 1950s, they discovered Marine Studios. And this was a place in Miami that was the first place to keep the bottlenose dolphin in captivity. And they actually allowed Dr. Lilly to conduct research utilizing some of their dolphins so that he could map their brains. Back then, like these marine mammals had massive brains. So everybody was like, oh my gosh, they must be so smart. And um, that kind of led to this whole thing. And guys, I'm just going to say moving forward, and I will warn again, it is probably going to get a little bit graphic when we get to the dolphin experiments that he did on these marine studio dolphins. Okay, so Dr. Lilly, he didn't have very much experience with marine animals, but he did gather as much information as he could from another scientist by the name of Pete Skolander. This was the person that he had met Remember when he came across that beach whale near his house um, who helped him obtain the brain for research purposes? It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today. At LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. Hello, everyone. It's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we
0: are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.
1: They actually like cut into the whale and took the brain out and then preserved it. So that's cool. But he used this information from Skullander to develop a breathing mechanism that he could use on dolphins for his research. He made a respiration device that would deliver air rapidly into the animal using explosive pressure. And at first, they didn't even know how much gas they were putting into the animal's lungs. Oh, this is so sad. They were flying by the seat of their pants. It gets way sadder because they didn't actually know how dolphins were able to breathe. Mm-hmm. So even though he made this breathing mechanism, um, they, they, were just, they were just hoping it worked. The crazy thing is Marine Studios gave him five animals to work on. And it's absolutely crazy to me that they would hand animals over to a man with absolutely no experience with them. But who am I to judge? It was a different time. And he was a well-known researcher at the time. So I'm assuming people were like, he knows what he's doing. He's a smart guy. First of all, that's just never assume people are a smart guy. Never assume, period. Um, one of you listeners,
2: I don't remember who you are, but... I'll I'll scroll back, but I don't know if I can say your name or not. That's neither here nor there. You know who you are. You recommended Dr. Death for oh, Gabby. There, Chantal. Yeah. Chantal. You recommended Dr. Death. Have you listened to it yet? Nope. Not yet. Okay, so I have listened to it before. That shit is so good. But it is insane that with no proof that you've ever been anything, like you can talk your way into cutting people open and shit. Just confidence. People just assume they're like, oh yeah. You can just be like, oh, my
1: records are blah, 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 blah. And they're like, he's legit. Let's let him cut people open. One of the episodes I'm working on, because this is like graphic on how they found out how to experiment on dolphins. But I'm working on another episode, which I think might end up having to be a patron exclusive due to its graphic nature. But it is on the one unit 731 um, where they actually experimented on people. (laughs) See for some reason no don't say that.
2: It's pretty bad. It sounds ah, I'm going to say it. My mom was like, "Don't say. It. I'm going to say it. James can cut it out. It was not bad." So, keep that in mind before you um. Oh, I don't know anything about mouth. that. Just This is going to make me say, "Obviously, I'm very sad when anything happens to humans. This is of any nature. It makes me very sad." But for some reason, when shit happens to animals, like, I can handle when <laughs> stuff happens to people. Wait, it's have you seen
1: Have you seen the um, community clip before you finish that sentence? Where the girl goes, racism, I can tolerate. But <laughs> animal abuse, that's where I draw the line. <laughs>
2: this is this giving her, like, her energy? No. That's, uh, guys, that's not what I mean. It's just people can kind of have an understanding of, like, what's about to happen to them or yeah. something. Like, your brain can kind of—you have an understanding. Whereas with animals, you don't, to my knowledge, the majority of animals can't, you can't understand what's about to happen to you. So, in my mind, that makes it sadder because you can't prepare, you can't anything, you don't understand. And yeah, that's my logic behind it. If you're like, what the fuck is wrong with her? That's why
1: <laughs> I kind of get, I, get, I kind of get what you mean. Yeah. But, um, side note, one interesting detail is that before places like Marine Studios kept dolphins in captivity, a lot of people, especially fishermen, actually hated them. They were seen as menaces. But once people could actually observe them in captivity and they could see how fun and playful their personalities were, public's perception of dolphins shifted. The dolphins actually, I mean, they can kind of go a little crazy. Yeah, they're like, a little they are can bit... be negative. Everyone's like, oh, they're so
2: cute. They're a little rapey.
1: Yeah, they're, they're kind
2: of mean. They're assholes. But they're so cute. They're, they're so, cute. so cute. Very yeah. smart. I've swam beside them and I've rubbed them through a little um, net underwater.
1: I couldn't afford to actually swim with him. So
2: So I was sneaking and putting my hands through and calling him towards me. I got yelled at.
1: Okay. So this next part contains graphic dolphin experimentation. (sighs) If this bothers you at all, skip ahead by a little bit. I am so sorry, but it is important to the story. So all of the information from this next part detailing the early dolphin experiments, they come from man and dolphin. This was the amphetamine induced book that I mentioned earlier. It's a book that he allegedly wrote um, in which he, you know, he was high on amphetamines in one weekend, but he predicted at the very beginning that humans will, within the next 10 to 20 years, be able to communicate with another species. He himself admitted that it was ambitious and it didn't happen in the way he wanted, but you can really see that he believed in his research. Lily wrote in his book that they used a reward stimulation technique to demonstrate that dolphins can vocalize in two different ways. They can vocalize normally underwater, and they can also utilize their blowholes to produce sounds. He also discussed the fact that dolphins have exhibited social dependency and ability. He recollected a story to support this about a dolphin that had gotten knocked unconscious and it was unable to breathe. And other dolphins noticing this, they helped push him to the surface until he was able to breathe, which prevented him from drowning. Now, please keep in mind, because this is an important detail. The dolphin was unconscious and he was unable to breathe. But back to Lily. The first animal that he experimented on was prepped in a similar way as they would have one of the monkeys that he previously worked on. They utilized a general anesthetic in order to make the animal unconscious so that they could remove part of the skull and utilize electrical probes. The problem is Dr. Lily was soon come to find that dolphins cannot breathe while they're unconscious. You mean to tell me he didn't already find the cell? Nobody was really doing any research. This was like the pioneering research. Like they didn't know that every single breath a dolphin takes is a conscious decision to stay alive. So this first dolphin died. And the interesting thing is the people present didn't even all agree at first that it died of, you know, an anoxic death because it didn't occur to them that, yes, it may have worked on primates before, but dolphins have a completely different type of anatomy. But anyway. They decided to try it again with a different dolphin. And lo and behold, even though they used less anesthesia on this dolphin, they saw a repeat event of what happened before as the breathing pattern of the dolphin changed and air was being released from its mouth instead of its blowhole. Or at least so they thought. The only good thing that came from this is they were able to realize what was happening to the dolphins. And so therefore they were able to shift gears and kind of try to make a plan to resuscitate any future animals. So I'm going to describe the resuscitation process that he described in his book. Um, It's kind of graphic. On another animal, after breathing stopped, two men pulled the mouth open with rope, rope loops, and a third man inserted wood blocks to hold the teeth apart. A doctor thrust his arm into the throat, and he pulled out the larynx and inserted a small tube. The first tube was too small, and it leaked. So they decided to get a larger one that was able to be sealed into the larynx and trachea, to allow for artificial respiration however you know <clears throat> i think that dolphins died too if anyone is keeping a dolphin death count we're up to three the great news though is the next dolphin that they worked on survived sort of and let me explain the procedure of utilizing the tube to assist in artificial respiration worked and this dolphin was able to wake up after the procedure however his brain was damaged and he couldn't swim This event, however, led to the researchers witnessing that dolphins can in fact call out to others for help. And he let out a really high pitched sound that summoned two other dolphins who started to support him and help him swim. And they were pushing him to the surface so that he could breathe. And all three dolphins seemed to be using sounds to communicate with one another as this occurred. But we don't know if this dolphin survived because they did in fact get involved again. And they removed him from the water where the other dolphins were helping him thinking they knew better. But they didn't know what they were doing. And they were like turning him upside down to drain his blowhole. It was really dumb. Like I was reading this book like, are you freaking kidding me? And if his brain is so
2: damaged, like there's no.
1: Yeah. So eventually, though, they did work out the kinks in the resuscitation method. And they were able to get an entire process that worked. And he did include it in his book on exactly what they had to do in order to save the dolphin after experimentation and putting them under anesthesia. Okay, now getting to the actual dolphin house experiments. Information for this one comes from another one of Dr. Lilly's books, The Mind of a Dolphin, a Non-Human Intelligence. So upon moving to St. Thomas, John Lilly had to set up an appropriate facility. They had to get sufficient water, sufficient water temperature controls, and sufficient living facilities. Separate areas were to be built in this facility, such as a deep water area, a shallow water area, and a no water area. It was a hope that they would be able to find a way to have the dolphins at one point in the future be able to return to the sea to hunt for their own food and then return. But since that wasn't possible, they also had to provide 15 to 20 pounds of fish per day per dolphin. For the experiment, the dry area, it was to be used by the human participant in his experiments, and it was gonna have a bed and food. Electricity for this facility though was kind of tricky, obviously, because we got salt water, we have dolphins, we have you know, electricity. So they were able to put like any switches or outlets or electronic appliances. Like they weren't able to put them near the seawall. They had to put it further in, but they were able to run waterproof lights, which they put in an isolated dry room. Cooking was to be done by a two burner propane gas stove. And this dry area, it also had human toilet facilities and dry sleeping facilities for any human participants. So they were supposed to stay. In this facility at all times, essentially. The shallow water area. Now, this one had two separate rooms. It was an indoor space which had sleeping, cooking, and office facilities. Because, again, the human was supposed to stay in the shallow water area when they could. Um, They also had a recording studio with microphones that were hung from the ceiling. And I will upload a picture of the floor plan of this entire facility to Patreon. Like, it actually looks pretty, you know, they hashed it out pretty well. So... The human participant of this experiment was the woman we mentioned earlier, Margaret C. Lovat. She heard about the lab where they were working on the dolphins during Christmas of 1963 from her brother-in-law. Lovat was the one that reached out to Dr. Lilly first, actually. She drove to the facility out of curiosity. And when they asked, hey, why are you here? The head guy, Gregory Bateson, he was like, um, you know, what's up? You just showed up. She responded with, I heard you had dolphins. which I mean, yeah. Sounds legit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that would be my exact course of action. I'd be like, hi, where are the dolphins? Thanks. So she was invited in and she was asked by Bateson to write down what she saw after observing the animals. It was said that even though she was not a scientist, her observations of animal behavior were keen. And she ended up getting an open invite to go back whenever she wanted. What? And so... Yeah, like they were like, oh, wow, you're pretty good at this. Uh, oh, strange woman. Come inside. Literally. You got a keen eye. And actually on February 7th, 1964, Margaret joined the staff of the Communication Research Institute. While the director Gregory Bateson's research focused on animal to animal communication, Dr. Lily's research that Margaret would participate in focused on human to dolphin communication. So this facility, they had three dolphins and they were Peter, Pamela and Sissy. Sissy was the biggest and the pushiest of all of them. Pamela was shy and fearful. And Peter, he was young and unknown to them at the time he was going through puberty. So this will be an important bit of information later. Because male dolphins in puberty are kind of like male humans in puberty. Just without the ability to communicate. Mm. So...
0: Kat and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media.
1: Margaret began working with Peter, and on April 10th to 13th, she did her first vocal work with him. She used a reward method of giving him a fish when he made a sound, but no more vocal work was done with him until November of that year. So from like April to November, they kind of alternated what they were doing with the dolphins, whether it was vocal work, whether it was other types of work, and it was a rotation between Peter, Pamela, and Sissy. So the first experiment that involved human and dolphin cohabitation, it actually didn't occur between Peter and Margaret, but actually between Pam and Margaret. This initial experiment was done for seven days in order to see how it would go if a long-term experiment was eventually set up. After this experiment, changes were made to the house in order to better suit the long-term needs of humans and dolphins. There was a large focus on wet sleeping in her notes, which I guess would make a lot of sense because it would probably be the most uncomfortable part. Yeah.
2: <laughs> be miserable.
1: So this sleep situation, it involved Margaret sleeping in wet clothing with dry sheets that got wet. And even when she went to bed in dry clothing, she ended up wet at night because the bed was wet. She also wrote about the fact that the dolphin woke her up multiple times during the night due to hunger. Mm. However, she didn't seem to dislike the wet sleeping arrangements, which was the weirdest part. Like she was literally writing, oh, you know, it wasn't that bad. How? I would be, I would be horrified. No, my skin would be wrinkly. She literally wrote that the only dry part of her pillow was one little corner she was able to shield with her cheek. And she still went on to be like, eh, I can do this. More power to you, Margaret. Really dedicated. Love that for her. We're going camping this weekend and I'm like, if it rains and I get one drop of water in my tent, I will be leaving and getting a hotel. No, we'll be fine.
2: Mm. (laughs) I'm more concerned about a dead mouse. But (laughs) Uh,
1: Worst case scenario, we just have to share the tent.
2: reason I said dead mouse, we're, like I said, we're going camping. So I, my car is completely clean. There's absolutely nothing in my car. N- nothing. I cleaned it out. And then I put my camping gear in that's been in my shed for like six months. And now my car smells like a fucking dead animal. Um, so Gabby, being the amazing friend that she is, has volunteered. Against my will. To go through my camping gear. Against my will. To find out what is dead. Being forced to. If there is something dead. Because she's a trooper. She's one of
1: those ride or die gals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But anyways. Yep, that's me. That's a dolphin. And when we find that mouse, I will be um, screaming. I'm, I'm afraid of them, dead or alive. I feel like if it was dead, it wouldn't be that scary. But
2: no, it still gives me the egg. If it, if it moves. It gives me the egg.
1: Okay. So, cleanliness of this house was another major issue that was brought up by the initial seven-day trial. Drains needed to be added to the facility in order to allow for cleaning of the tank with the addition of a siphon hose. So this would permit the cleaning and the removal of waste without like draining or really complex maneuvers. After that trial experiment, Margaret was still willing to do a longer experiment with Peter in the wet environment. And this was the last 2.5 months. I think something weirds going to happen here. So the live-in program was set to happen during the months of June, July and August of 1965. And she had a set schedule that she was to follow every day. And I just copied it in here. It goes as follows. Following is an outline of the daily schedule to be followed, subject to later changes by Ms. Ho. 7.30, she gets up, washes, eats. 8 to 8.30, she records a lesson with Peter and feeds him five pounds of fish. She would start at 9 o'clock, her daily cleaning, vacuuming, etc. And then at 9.30, she would feed take notes, do protocol, check with workmen. They were working on the facility the entire time. 10 to 10.30, she would play with Peter, and that involved some lessons. At 11 o'clock, she and Peter, they would go outside together, but, you know, it was more relaxed. At 11.30, she would get lunch, and 12 to 12.30, they recorded lessons with Peter, and he got another five pounds of fish. Honestly, he's living the dream. So much fish. (laughs) <laughs> 1 to 2.30, she would sleep. Um, they would do fun things. They would write. They'd read. They'd relax. 3 to 3.30, there was another recorded lesson with Peter and another five pounds of fish. 4 to 4.30, they would work together on lessons. 6 o'clock, well, 5 o'clock to 5.30, she had to do notes, bills, make a schedule for the next day. 6 o'clock, she would have dinner. 6.30, she'd have games, visitors, reading, and, you know, all kind of around Peter. At the end of the day, work is over. The two of them would still be together at 10 o'clock, bed. And the schedule was to be followed Sunday through Friday. And Saturday was a free day for her. But Saturday night, she still had to sleep with Peter. So the study went over a basic vocabulary and it involved pronunciation and comprehension. So they would do numbers one to five, personal names like Peter, Margaret, me, you, greetings, hi, hello, bye. He had to learn different objects and they would rotate these objects, as you would see later throughout her notes. Um, He had at first like a bowl, a toy fish, a bucket, just anything that was in his particular area. So to teach him numbers, they use a series of balls with hooks on each and they would string them together end to end. So for every item that he would learn, he would have to have that item included every day as part of his routine. So like if she used like a toothbrush and he saw it, she'd have to like Leave it in there now, I guess. Yeah. Like it was that intense. Adding on every single day. Exactly. So with the longer study, her hope was for the training to, instead of being just, he would speak for the reward of fish. They wanted to see if he would still perform like his lessons just for her approval. So like when she would get excited or she would thank him. Yeah. They wanted to see if they could just like move to a different type of reward system. So to the study itself, Margaret, she wrote detailed weekly reports that spoke of everything that was happening each week, all the progress that was being made, as well as all issues that came up. It's just wild to me that she slept in a wet bed, though, because she has written accounts of needing to drain her bed because it was saturated. But she still slept there. She actually did solve the issue of the wet bed eventually, though, when it started to get bad by draping shower curtains around it to keep the water out because Peter, his thing at night was to just throw the ball at her bed. Just to get her soaked. So eventually Aww. he would just throw the ball at the shower curtain. So it'd keep that from getting her soaked at night. Get her attention. So in addition, at the beginning, Peter, he only seemed to learn the word ball. She wrote that he had a lot of trouble with pronunciation. So in her words, he's more than eager. He works hard, but he just does not seem to be able to copy the pronunciation aspects of speech. During week three of the study, she wrote that Peter picked up a monotonous tone with a whine that goes on and on, and he didn't listen to her. She even said she lost her temper and yelled at him because while he listened sometimes, he was very stubborn. Her thoughts on this were that Peter didn't know what he was expected to do. So she needed to find a way to communicate her expectations to him. The third week also seemed to be a really hard week for Margaret because, I mean, by week three, you're just interacting with a dolphin. So the isolation started to get to her. And her accounts in the study, they talked about her being lonely and just needing to get out of the lab. Week four, during this week, she wrote about her new strategy to interact with Peter and to get him to try to use human communication. She began working with him at times that weren't just feeding time. And if he didn't interact in a quote unquote humanoid way, she just ignored him. She stopped responding to all clicks and whistles. And due to this, she also wrote that he was humanoiding to her more and more for attention. So at this point, he's probably catching on like, hey, I need to not click and whistle. I can't be a dolphin. <laughs> but this is so sad. I know. But so much happened during that week four that Margaret also wrote a separate report. She spoke of having issues of aggression with Peter. And he, because he would try to nip at her and slam into her. And she had to try several things to get him to stop, including wearing boots, carrying around a broom. However, the thing that worked is when he nipped at her, she would just leave him alone. She would completely ignore him until he interacted gently with her. Like, I mean, he's a dolphin. He's probably trying to react like a dolphin. This is so sad. I know. During this week, she started working on more words and objects with him as well. He learned um, cloth, ball, float. He had a brush and a little rubber rabbit. In addition, she started to slowly introduce shapes to him. Week five. So this week is where it started getting strange. It was by this time, mid-July, and Margaret wrote that she was having issues with Peter starting at the beginning of the week. She said Peter began having erections and he had them frequently when she was playing with him. This was the first time that he had these issues of sexual excitement since they started cohabitating. This issue was causing problems with their lessons because as soon as she started playing with him, he would become aroused. She also said that she did deal with this issue with him before this experiment. However, in that instance, she was not in the water with him. So, you know, she wasn't in the water with him when he became aroused before. So in those instances, she was actually able to help him get to, you know, completion so that they could continue on with their stories because she had more leverage. She wasn't in the water. So she was out of the water and she could like use her hand to no. let him rub against it. Um, it was way more graphic in the book. So, uh, I mean, she described it in great detail. The entire process of a dolphin. No. Oh face, if you will. So you guys owe me a huge fa- a huge thank you for not quoting it verbatim. Oh, I'm
2: reading that.
1: Oh, no. This is stuff that James put in here. Um, in the actual book itself, it was like, it, it, it was graphic detail, you guys. It was very inappropriate. Like I, myself, I'm not doing okay having read any of it. <laughs> oh, gosh.
2: My face is stuck in
1: a disgust mode. It gets worse, uh, as, as all things do. Anyway, she said she would do that one, like two or three times beforehand because apparently Peter was, you know, he, ha- he was insatiable. However, being in the water completely with him now, It changed things because she wasn't able to physically remove herself from him. So as she put it, he would shove her legs and feet and he couldn't get positioned properly to get to the point that he needed to get to. So he just became more and more frustrated. After this, she did have him move down to be with two other dolphins in the hopes that it would satisfy his needs so that she can continue working with him without him being completely distracted. But she also wrote that she was thinking on whether it would be best for the human to find a way to satisfy the dolphin's needs without amusing another dolphin because it would be a way to strengthen their bond. But she also recognized that it could have many issues that were necessarily wanted by her. So the next week's report laid out some more interesting facts. She told a story of how Peter, he taught her how to play the game that he wanted. What she later realized was his way of courting her. So at this point, you put a male dolphin in here with a female do- human. That is just she spends all his time, their time together. They have a bond going. He is starting to slowly fall in love for lack <laughs> of a better word to describe what's happening here. So he would stroke her leg gently with his teeth. And at first she was nervous because he nips. But he spent time showing her how gentle he could be with a ball until he communicated to her what he wanted to do. She noted that, for one, Peter used a tool to convince Margaret to play. And second, while his contact was quote-unquote sexy business, her words, What? Peter didn't get turned on by this. He would present his genitals to be stroked, but as soon as he got an erection, he typically had a change in demeanor, and he got so rampunctious that she would have to leave him alone. Margaret wrote, I feel extremely flattered at Peter's patience with me in all this, and I'm delighted to be so obviously wooed by this dolphin. Weeks 8, 9, and 10, they're all in one long report. She wrote that when it came to the problem of Peter being aroused, he actually calmed down during this time. He modified his behavior in such a way that when he got excited, he didn't try to knock her over anymore. Instead, he would slide along her legs and that way she was able to use her hand or her foot to relieve him. This whole thing? Super disturbing. Anyway... They did that about three times before Peter was typically satisfied and then they would be able to go on to his lessons. She also wrote that it was a, quote, precious sort of thing. No! But it wasn't private and they did this with other people completely present. She also wrote that Peter is, quote, completely involved and she involves herself to the extent of putting as much love into the tone, touch, and mood as possible so as to respect his happiness. The other thing of note is that Margaret wrote about how depressed she became with the entire situation. She missed human interactions so much that when the workers would leave at the end of the day, she would be filled with a feeling of dread. She cried at small inconveniences and was struggling with self-pity and depression. And those are all of the notes we have from that experiment. Also, James's notes in here are hilarious. I know, I read one of them and I was like, uh, oh. Okay, but that was a lot. And it's all from Dr. Lily's book itself. So if you want to read that book, um, I don't know why you would. But if you want to read it, I will link it. I read it and I can say that I would definitely not want to read it again, but I will link it. And consider this my warning. You do not have to read this book, but I know you curious cats are going to be like, I want to read the book.
2: No, I'm not going to read this book.
1: It, it describes the dolphin. Nope experience way more graphically and i just was not comfortable with that i don't
2: know i don't like it i know when i had a pet possum he was my baby um but then when he grew up he started courting me Ooh, his name was skeeter it, it never <laughs> got weird like that though like boy possums will click to communicate with ladies they're called a mate so they'll just be like and he would walk around following me going
1: oh and you're just ignoring him yeah breaking his heart
2: i mean i'd love on him but i wouldn't love on him like no yeah sorry skeeter like you you gotta skeet skeet on your own
1: oh my god (laughs) I was thinking it. I wasn't going to say it.
2: <laughs> no, we didn't get weird like that, though. That's uh And I can't even, even in the name of science, like I know in the name of science, scientists do a lot of weird shit.
1: You can't even say it was a different time because the scientists of that time were like, ooh, that's weird. It's Yeah, it's, it's, given, it's given weird vibes. So the weird thing about this whole experiment is not so much that they were trying to get a dolphin to communicate in English. There are labs that are still trying to communicate with animals and maybe one day we will be able to carry on a full-blown conversation. Who knows? But the real issue here is the relationship with the dolphin and what happened to Peter after the experiment was over. No! So obviously the media reporting about the inappropriate relationship with the dolphin caused the research to be looked at in a very negative light. The scientific community as a whole was concerned about the ethics of the experiment. You see, from everything that I wrote, Peter the dolphin was completely in love with Margaret. However, when they ran out of funding for the dolphin facility in St. Thomas, Peter was moved 1,000 miles away to one of Dr. Lily's smaller labs in Florida. Once he got there, it was only a matter of weeks before a heartbroken Peter refused to breathe and sank to the bottom of his tank. Some people claim that this suicide was due to being in love with Margaret and being separated from her. But other people say it was due to the small, cramped, and inhumane living conditions that he was now kept in.
2: Oh, no. I'm actually crying. I'm a little hormonal right now. And I'm very
1: sad. Yeah, it was really sad. I didn't. I wasn't that depressed at the end when I was writing this, because unfortunately, TikTok exposed me to this way earlier last year when someone was like, oh, you should ask your husband about the dolphin experiment. And then Steven answered the question on TikTok, much to my horror. So that happened. But anyway, even the veterinarian at the lab attributed his death to being taken away from Margaret. The reason why his death was ruled a suicide is, do you remember how dolphins aren't automatically able to breathe? It was the same issue as earlier when they tried giving them anesthesia. Their breathing is a conscious effort. Therefore, when life becomes too unbearable, dolphins just take a breath and sink to the bottom. There are other scientists who don't believe that dolphins have the mental capacity for suicide. So that in and of itself has the scientific community torn. But there are even instances in history where some scientists have claimed that dolphins have participated in mass suicide where they would strand themselves or refuse to breathe. That sounds like an interesting topic to explore one day. But sadly, Peter's fate ended with death, and he was unfortunately added to a long list of dolphins that passed away due to John Lilly's experiments. But that's not all. While the dolphin house experiment was deeply disturbing overall, John Lilly simultaneously was experimenting with LSD, as we mentioned earlier. And he didn't keep his LSD usage and his communication research separate. In 1965, Dr. Lilly gave a talk at a conference on the use of LSD in psychotherapy and alcoholism. He claimed that when dolphins were injected with LSD, they tended to be more vocal. Essentially, what this means is dolphin vocalizations are measured based on how much sound they make, and dolphins not on LSD tend to have periods of silence. However, when they are on LSD, these silent moments are more rare. In fact, when dolphins were on LSD, they were around another creature, like if they were around anyone, a human or another dolphin, they tended to keep up several hours of increased vocalization. Basically, the dolphins, they become um, Stephen when they're on LSD and they can't shut up. Steve, if you're listening, I'm sorry. And I love you and your word vomit. But no, like that's what I got from this. The thing is, the use of LSD on dolphins did not actually help make any progress in interspecies communication. While dolphins did vocalize more, we still couldn't understand them and they couldn't really understand us. And not every
2: species uses like vocal cues to communicate. There are other ways of
1: communication than vocal. It was just a weird time.
2: Dr. Lily, you're a
1: dick. Oh my gosh. His stuff was, it was really upsetting researching this because I knew about the dolphin house experiment. I didn't know how many animals die.
2: Oh, you have broken my heart today, Gabby.
1: I'm sorry.
2: I should have researched it just to prepare myself for the amount of sadness.
1: I know. I know. So, interesting tidbit is that while Lovat was working with the dolphins on communication, Dr. Lilly was in a room above the live-in dolphin facility floating in his sensory deprivation tank while on LSD. Lovat herself is quoted as saying, Look, John, I am devoting my time, my energy, my love and my life to working with the dolphins. If you want to do your experiments on solitude and LSD, please keep them in the isolation room. The rest of the lab is devoted to the dolphins and to my work with them. I am not curious or interested in what you are doing. Mm. So this was part of a conversation that Lovat and Lily had when Lily insisted on recounting an experience he had in his sensory deprivation tank. The interesting thing is while at first people had some hope and some belief in the work and progress that he could make in interspecies communication, as time went on and as they visited his lab and saw what exactly it is that he was doing, they started to realize that maybe their hopes for his work were a little too ambitious. With one man even saying, while he claims that these dolphins have learned dozens of English words, not a single human has ever learned a single word of dolphinese which calibrates the relative intelligence of the two species. And ultimately, not much came of Dr. Lilly's research, with a lot of it being overshadowed by the controversy and feedback from the scientific community.
2: And humans are such assholes. Like, who are we?
1: We're so entitled. Yep. As for how dolphin research is going today, well, people are still doing research on the topic of animal communication, but now we also look at interpreting what their whistles and clicks mean. It may not be the regular human conversational means of communicating, but we're able to at least figure out some of what they mean. And hopefully with time, we can make more progress to understanding other species. Thank you everyone for listening. This was a wild story from beginning to end. Dr. Lily was absolutely mad. And this was probably one of the most interesting episodes that I have researched and written. James gave me the idea for the topic and I ran with it. And I really hope you guys, um, I wouldn't say enjoyed it. no But I really hope you guys learned
2: I learned a lot
1: and I'll never forget this now and not in a good way. I'm sorry. Imagine how Margaret felt. She did a lot of articles later on, like as a much, much older person um, about the entire experiment. Um, you guys can go read them. There's like Guardian articles. There's I wonder if she suffers from depression now. She, I think she died. Yeah. I know John Lilly died, so I'm not sure if she
2: died, but I mean. You'd almost have to, like just because of Peter. That's so sad. Like, Yes, there was weird stuff going on. Don't get me wrong. It got super weird. But he was just a dolphin doing dolphin things. He doesn't, he didn't, he was just doing dolphin things. And he fell in love. And God, that is so sad. Yep.
1: Absolutely terrible. But um, if you guys want to, if you have any more weird stories, animal stories, make sure to email us. Let us know. It's mystery of everything. Try to make them happy. Pod at gmail.com. Yeah. Happy ones are cool. disturbing ones are cool too
2: just up to you disturbing ones are cool too but like we
1: need a little break in between oh yeah that's why my next one is papal scandals because it's kind of insane
2: i can't pronounce that first word
1: papal like the papacy
2: like pope what did i say i said papal yeah
1: (laughs) i was like what are you trying to
2: say i was like oh you sent me the papal scandals and she was like the what
1: (laughs) it was supposed to be on the female pope but i just feel like it wouldn't be a very long episode because that. I mean, if you look it up, everyone is like, that was a legend. So I just ruined it. If I were to write about it, I can explain how. But anyway, thank you guys for listening. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye.